On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Carly Collins, um, and as we'll get into, Carly's done a lot in her career so far, uh, not only seeing a multitude of settings, but really one thing we talked about on this is being an EMT, why she went and got that uh, certification and that training, and really where does that fall for athletic trainers? There are several, um, probably a lot of people out there that have that dual credential, and is it something that's worthwhile for more athletic trainers to look into or how does that play out so we talk a lot about that we talk a little bit about all things at uh the podcast that carly helps hosting with um covering everything or goes into athletic training so lots of information in this episode and one that we really enjoyed as always we are powered by mueller sports medicine Please check them out for all your athletic training needs. They continue to innovate and come up with new things. Uh, always interested in feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out to them if you've got something that you want to potentially see come to market or just feedback on how to continue to make things easier for athletic trainers to do our job. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Carly Collins, uh, host of all things AT, amongst many, many other things that we are going to get into now. We actually just had to cut off our pre-show banter because I think we were covering too many things that we probably needed to get into the episode. Um, but uh, we connected up on Twitter, as seems to be the way of the world right now, especially with the pandemic still going on. But uh we really wanted to get into talking about emergency medical technician certification, where that falls within, it, within athletic training. Uh, there's been some really good discussion going on, a lot of great stuff on Twitter about it. I've worked with a student, AT, who's now certified that had gone up and gotten certified in it, um, had plans to utilize it in her future, but it's something I've thought about, but never really gone after. Mm-hmm. But hopefully answer a bunch of questions about it, get Carly's thoughts on what that looks like and what it means and if it's useful or not. And, you know, dive into a bunch of other things that we were talking about before on what makes sense for athletic trainers to have as we go forward. Uh, Before I keep talking, I will turn it over to Carly to give some more background on how she got to where she is currently, and then we'll jump into it. Thanks, Joel. I appreciate it. I'm super excited to be here and to talk with you, and I really appreciate the content that you put out and the stuff that you do highlighting, you know, ATs and their stories, and just bringing that to light is absolutely fantastic and something I think that's much needed in our profession for all of us to just realize, like, everyone has a fantastic story, and they have great words. We can all learn from everyone. No one is above anyone else. You can always learn something, so I think that's great. So thank you for doing that. Same with you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So uh, my name is Carly. I am currently an athletic trainer in physician practice at an office and practice in Texas. Um, Previously, I got my undergraduate uh, degree at Cumberland University. It's a small NAI school in Tennessee. Um, And I actually, the reason I chose to go there is because it's literally probably the only school in the United States that allows you to attempt to be a student athlete, like to play sports in college and to be an athletic training student at the same time. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of schools I applied to or sent like my highlight reels to and all that kind of stuff, they were just like, yeah, but you have to pick. So <laughs> like Cumberland was, you know, the only place that's like, yeah, you can try. I don't know if you'll make it, but you can sure try. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, with seriously, like, I don't think I'll ever catch up on the amount of sleep I should have been super, super grateful to uh, God for providing me that opportunity. Cause definitely could not have done that. That was on his strength, not mine. Um, so it was great. I did my undergrad there and I actually went right into uh, completing my master's degree there. Okay. And I was a graduate assistant for wrestling and I wrestling definitely probably my top favorite sport to ever work. It's super fun. I feel like it's kind of like football as an AT, you either love or hate it. Um, sure. There's not really a lukewarm medium over there, but I love <laughs> it because it's intense. You know, you can't really relax and slack off. Like you have to be watching. There's always stuff going on. So right. I did that. Um, and since I, I really pushed to complete my master's in three semesters, I did it in the summer, fall and spring. And I was the first uh, master's degree at my school to do a research based thesis where I actually like went out and like collected data with a couple of my professors and we did a study and it was pretty neat. So shoving all that together, <laughs> I did it in like a little over a year. And when I graduated, I was kind of like, all right, well, it's kind of hard for me to apply for a job when I only have like a year and a half of experience. So I went to the University of Louisiana um, on an internship that turned into a full-time job. So I was almost there for about three years. I worked every single sport, I think under the sun as an intern and then uh, worked football there for my um, the two years after that. And it was great. I learned so much. Fantastic. Um, and, you know, just being in the same environment, I think for a while, especially as an athletic trainer or anyone in general, like you sometimes don't feel like you're learning things and you want to switch it up so you can learn from other people and other places and stuff. So I went to the University of Rhode Island where I worked softball and football. And I had just really been thinking over the past couple of years, like I want to make my brain and myself work harder in terms of learning things. Like as an athletic trainer, I think we get into the zone after a few years of, okay, how many kids can I take ankles, do treatments on, you know, log all the stuff, inventory, do all of this before they go to practice. Like I had that experience and it was great and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but my brain was like, Hey, you're not really growing and learning all the time as much mm -hmm. as you could be. So I wanted to try the position practice outlet because I feel like I could really learn a lot from that. I just wanted to try it, see what it's like. So I've been an AT for Texas Health Sports Medicine in Texas for three or four months now. Uh, so that's that's currently where I'm at. It's a um, huge career change. It's, it's, you know, I still am an athletic trainer and that is still my title, um, but definitely black and white, completely different. I mean, I it's been uh, interesting so far I've learned a lot but it's just uh, completely different than the collegiate setting so that's where I'm currently at how many like miles have you gotten you know moving all over the yeah it's um it, it was a lot especially going from Rhode Island to Texas um I mean during that time when I moved was really about the time people were starting to uh, venture out of their houses um, from, you know, the pre-COVID of quarantine and all that stuff. And yeah. me and my roommates in Rhode Island, we'd actually 
been in the house. We kept a, a lot because Rhode Island is very strict. They were the very the strictest ones. We were together for 67 days. Like we kept a log on the board. Right. It was literally, you know, during the time people were starting to drive. So the drive should have been, I think, like 26, 27, 28 hours. And it took me, I think, 36 or 37 just because of all the accidents, like people pretending they knew how to drive after not for so long. So <laughs> definitely I'm a road warrior. I got you if you ever need a trip, buddy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so we, we're going to focus on the EMT credential. Um, when did you fit that in? So when I was um, at the University of Louisiana, you know, I think every place gives, you know, their healthcare provider some sort of compensation for continuing education. And sure. as we know, um, every state is very different in what they permit athletic trainers to a lot, like what they allow them to do, whether that be, you know, dry needling or going to do an IV or suturing course or whatever. So um, Louisiana is a very strict state in terms of what they allow people to do. I had already gotten um, my Graston certification. I had gone to do a 3D maps, which is basically like a movement course. I had done that. And I really wanted to do like IV or suturing just to learn. I thought it would be super cool to just learn about that and be able to not necessarily use it and practice it, but I wanted to learn about it. And they um, said that they would not allow me to get that and to pay for it because uh, the state didn't permit ATs to do that. Um, so literally the only other option, like I didn't want to do another soft tissue. I'd already done that. I didn't want to do another movement course. I'd already done that. So um, one of our team physicians actually randomly just contacted me one day was like, Hey, um, one of my friends, he is like the head paramedic EMT for this teaching school um, that was like 30, 45 minutes from me. And he's putting on a unique course for healthcare professionals who are already a healthcare provider in some form, aspect, like whatever it may be it, and for them to become an EMT. And I was like, oh, this would be so cool. So um, my boss read through everything and they agreed to pay for it, um, for me to go do it. So I only had like eight or nine people in my class and it was like a six, seven month process. So like during the week, um, we would meet like via zoom and we would have group discussions. And then on the weekends, we would go to his classroom, which since he's like the owner director of all this stuff, he has, there's, he has access to a huge building that has like a full ambulance, like inside the building, like nice. everything in it. And all like, even, you know, the dummies that you see on TV and, or like wherever that are alive and like react to stuff. Like hmm. he has all of that, like basically access to like a full nursing lab too. So, and that's, that's literally what he does. It's like teaches all that. So I was super excited to be allowed to do that opportunity. And the reason I pursued it was for two reasons. I wanted to do something with the money I was allotted for continuing ed. And then I wanted to learn more about emergency medicine and management and this aspect of stuff. Because currently at that time in Louisiana, one of my roles was to be in charge of all emergency situations and management, like with football. Like I was yeah. in charge of like, you know, making sure every single one of my students had a role, making sure we had all the equipment necessary. It was all up to date, all the EAPs, like I got EMS there for the game, like, you know, that, that kind of stuff, like yep. spoke to them, like that was my role to have all that done. And I wanted to be better at that role that I was given because mm -hmm. I didn't currently feel confident. So that's all that put together is why I just decided to pursue it. So. 
sounds like a viable reason. Uh, definitely. <laughs> uh, one of the questions you know that we had with it, you know, there's a couple people. If people are on AT Twitter, you, uh, Dylan, um, have you know have that credential. Do you think it's something that is valuable for more ATs to have? Like, did it enhance your role and ability? You know, for those emergency medicine, you know, EAPs and everything else you were planning. Because I know for me and my role, like that, all all that policy eventually falls on me, and yes. so with more best practices coming out and NCAA puts out some at least good guidelines to make you at least think about what everything you need to do with it. Is this something that you would say, I don't, don't want to say like necessary, but maybe very beneficial? Sure. Well, so, and you know, I want to say this just in general, because I think there is a lot of pressure for people, especially healthcare providers to get every single certification that's under the sun to have a bunch of letters behind their name to do this and to do that. And like, you know, if you don't have this, then why are you here? It's like, yes. it's not always necessarily about pursuing a certification to quote have it or right. should be had or shouldn't be had. I think everyone's situation is unique and different mm -hmm. and it's about the reason to why you're pursuing it. So for me personally, especially with being in charge of like the emergency management, and I personally did not feel confident in my abilities to handle everything that could have happened, like using a bag valve mask. Like I didn't like was never really taught and had a lot of experience and hours put into using that and why you would use it when you would not use it. How do you apply oxygen? How to do other things? You know what I mean? So like that was a draw for me was because while that's not something I may do as an athletic trainer or may see, I just wanted to learn more about those things for me personally. That's why I did it. And honestly, that entire course was so beneficial to me because I put in a lot of hours, like, yes, practicing basic things, you know, and most emergency management things that athletic trainers are like CPR, like, you know, putting people in splints, like spine yeah. bleeding and all that kind of stuff. And it was great to have, refreshers on those things and to be able to spend whole days with other healthcare providers to go through all of that. And like, okay, what happens in this situation? If this happens, what would you do? What would you do here? What would you do here? Bringing up all these random situations that could happen. That is athletic trainers. Sometimes we don't have the days or staff or time to dedicate to. Mm -hmm. So for me, it helped me to grow like in my confidence level of doing all of this and managing all of this. And also to learn other things that I wasn't necessarily like, presented with and learning the why behind it like sometimes we know yeah okay we need to do that but why why do you do this why do you do that you know what I mean so like for me it was great it was wonderful I learned so much and I actually ended up having some job interviews over other candidates because I had that certification and they told me that they said Absolutely. we want you to come interview for this position because you have that certification this person doesn't and I was like and I asked them I said so because I was curious and I said, why are you bent on someone having this? Like, what is your purpose for this person? And I said, it's not necessarily, I'll never forget. It was a team position for a school. And I asked her this, I was like, why did you say this? And she said, because it's not necessarily about like the certification. Yes, that's great. But we realized in order to get that certification, you had to put in so many hours of doing these things. And you've been through them. You have the confidence in doing it. You have the practice. So that's why we view this as important. So 
it's a catch 22, you know, you're never going to make anyone happy. And I don't think it's necessarily a necessity for someone to have because, you know, everyone's right. We do get basic emergency cares. And as a trainer, you should be going through programs that have all that. And that's great. But for me personally, I wanted to expand on my knowledge of that and build my confidence in it. And I think if everyone is able to have that experience, they should, because it's only going to help you get better. Um, so, Absolutely. so I thought, yeah. I think your point on situationally, it, it can mean a lot, you know, somebody who's a single AT at a high school, you know, you kind of have to be everything in some form yeah. or fashion, whereas, you know, at a larger institution where you've got multiple staff, you know, does everybody need to get the same certification? Probably not. Um, but can you find areas that would be specialized for individuals that, you know, are bringing more value to your full team? I think that could be a good place for potentially looking for somebody to go do it so agreed that's a great point yeah and, and we could get on a whole tangent about certifications but i'm gonna try and avoid that um please yes let's <laughs> got a very middle of the row riding the fence opinion on it as i do with most things because it always depends on what your what your situation is um <clears throat> With the emergency medical stuff, we were talking about a little bit about this, you know, before um, we started hitting record and having some of this with our transition to this master's level program and teaching some of these skills that generally, and I don't know every state's practice act um, or one that doesn't have one, um, what we can do, you know, is it... Do we need to know these skills as athletic trainers? You know, some of these more advanced skills, especially that you learned in the EMT course, um, you know, mainly we were talking about like suturing, um, IVs, uh, especially, you know, with being on a broader team and having team physicians. Again, that all is situational. But what are your thoughts around that? Oh, man. You know, again, it's, it's just a great big old can of worms that, a lot of people have really big thoughts and opinions on. And, you know, just when our profession started to transition from undergraduate, you know, to now the graduate requirements. And I will never forget, I had this conversation with some of my preceptors when this first started to happen. And they were looking at, you know, what could be the potential standards for, for skills being taught in this program. And one of them that I remember bringing up was, you know, suturing. And I looked and I was in Louisiana at the time and I talked to, she was our clinical coordinator. And I looked at her and I said, so how are you going to be able to teach potential future athletic trainers how to do this said skill when it's not even allowed by the state law? Sure. And she had no idea, you know, we had some great conversation about it. And I think you know, I, I do think that it's wonderful that we can learn a lot of things and we're able to do that. And it's fantastic. But at the same time, you bring up a great point. What is the benefit of it? Like, is it going to help us in the long run? Is it going to really be productive? And, you know, obviously time will tell and we'll see, but it's just very difficult, you know, for me personally to understand how it is that this is being pushed for like a master's program in athletic trainers and all this stuff to learn these new skills, which I think is fantastic. It's great. But if we already have individualized state laws that allow some things and then prohibit some things, 
why is this being pushed as a requirement when they may not even be able to do it? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's, um, I feel like, you know, an interesting point you bring up. I don't know. Yeah, and it, kind of to that, you know, we had been messaging a little bit back and forth, um, you know, with the put, with the change to the master's degree. I know there's varying um, versions of it out there. You know, there's the three plus two. There's the tradition, like the, you know, plus two model, you know, the four and two. That's what we have currently where they start in the summer um, right after they would finish undergrad and then roll through. Um, but we were, you and I were messaging back and forth, you know, and you had referenced something about, you know, we're teaching all these things and maybe you're making it, you know, quote unquote, book smart in a lot of ways, but not necessarily like practicing and really instilling those yes. things. And just to a kind of our topic here on, you know, IVs and sutures kind of the one specifically where, you know, I think it's interesting to know them, but in, I can't, for me specifically, can't think of many situations that I would ever need to do those versus just taking care of it on a much broader scale and getting them to the people that could then do um, those things. But if you only teach it in a cl one class or over the course of a week, are we really ingraining it enough to make it something that we're viable and or proficient in versus, you know, taking more time to be unbelievably good at spine boarding and CPR and the different things that you had mentioned with like the bag valve mass or, you know, exertional heat stroke things, um, administering oxygen, which I think ultimately maybe could be more valuable. 100%. That was a lot of rambling for thoughts on that. <laughs> no. And uh, you know, like, again, this is why I really enjoy conversation with you because you bring up good points from both sides. Like it's not necessarily like discrediting how it's gone with us, you know, our profession now moving to a master's degree and having all these things like it's good, I think. And it's great that people are learning them. And I'm always a huge fan of like learning from others and other healthcare professions and learning other things and other skills. Like I love that. Like I'm a sponge. I love learning stuff. I think it's great. But is it really feasible and important for this to be a standard? I don't know. Sure. Sure. I, I definitely agree with how you say, like, man, I, I think, you know, and I've experienced this working with some younger athletic trainers who have come through the MSAT program or students who were actually in an MSAT program from another institution that had come to um, where I was currently employed to do clinical hours or a rotation. Mm -hmm. And it's just so interesting to see now that, you know, like I'm extremely book smart. They are very, very like textbook. They really know a lot of information and it's fantastic. And I, I learned a lot from them. I think it's great. Sure. But then when you go outside to practice or you have an athlete come in treatment rehab and it's kind of the deer in the headlights look a little bit, yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like you have the full blown classroom experience, but you don't have that valuable experience as an undergraduate student going through even observation hours and seeing things and being able to build your confidence and basic things like that was taken away from them. And I could definitely see there was a, a struggle there for them. And so, you know, which one's better? I don't really know that, you know, time will tell everyone has different opinions, but, you know, again, back to your main point of should we teach these skills as a standard when there are state laws prohibiting that we even perform them or would we even need them? I don't know. I definitely think that's a very gray area. 
Yeah, it's such a unique thing in the profession and, you know, as it's growing and evolving through this educational thing, you know, what is it to, to exactly your point? Like we're teaching all these really valuable things, but then you're running into like, well, are they still able to go and do a concussion eval to the proficiency they should or yes. the general musculoskeletal, but then, you know, I, not everybody, and I understand this, and I don't ever want to make blanket statements, but like we get frustrated if like a PT or a chiropractor comes in and tries to commandeer our rehab because we should be able to do that to the highest levels too. And I just don't know that it's ever feasible for any profession to be that good at that broad of a range of skills. Mm -hmm. Really curious, and I've had some conversations with some academic people that I work closely with. Of you know, does it become a uh, where you know it's a master's degree, and then if you want to go and specialize in something, it's a fellowship. Right. So if you do want to get really good at emergency medicine, you should go find something that's going to help teach you that. Hundred percent. Versus going on and doing a fellowship that's more focused on the rehab portion or the treat you know treatment side. And again, it's so situationally dependent, and you know that was another question we had on here is, you know, the orthopedic physician extender um, credential that you have. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense for me to go get right now because I'm not working in that setting, but it makes all the sense in the world for you to go beyond what you're learning or you have learned in all of your stuff to get something that's much more specific to what you're doing now. Yes. And I really just love how you put that. Like it's, it's all situational. It depends on what setting you're in. And that's, you know, I think that's such a fantastic thing about the athletic training profession is we have evolved so much, like it's unbelievable. And, you know, when I was in undergrad, like obviously a, a while ago, I didn't even know an athletic trainer working in position practice was a thing because it really maybe wasn't at that current point in time. And I love how athletic trainers, when they're placed in situations that's even not their forte, they still will find ways to thrive and to somehow like have basic knowledge across all, you know, whatever's asked of them, they will be able to do some of it. And currently in our setting, um, we had an MA leave from one of our providers team for another job. And because of the work that the athletic trainers have put in, how they're able to help him and assist him. Like he wants to hire another AT instead of another MA. And it's just, you know, growing to show like, athletic, like it's great and it's amazing. And we can do a lot of things and we're able to now market ourselves even better because they're, like you said, there are ways you can get better at certain skills and you have the pre-qualifications and basic learning knowledge to now go on and further yourself in that skill. So for me, when I moved into physician practice, like I knew what a cast was, I knew what a split was, but nowhere near the level of what's being performed where I am right now. So maybe an hour CU course, just because you're <laughs> right? yes. <laughs> like, Oh, I think I wrap it on here and then it gets like super stiff and we can't take it off. Great. That's basically the extent that oh, I, have, so. I have. That. I made that mistake, you know, a couple of years ago, I've got a guy on staff that worked in a clinic for a long time and did a lot of casting stuff and just picked up, over a decade plus of just, you know, he might as well have, he could pass the certification if he needed to, but, you know, experience. I was like, oh, I can do that. And I tried to do like a cast. And I was like, yeah, I'm never going to do this again while I still work with you. This is all you. I will just let you know when I need you. And I, it's, it was humbled extremely quickly. 
Oh, a hundred percent the same. A hundred percent. Like when we, you know, in the physician practice that I work in, I think they do a good job of, you know, they have a huge checklist for incoming like new employees, whether that be, you know, one for front desk, one for MAs, one for Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. And it's like two or three pages long and we have to go over it with, you know, whether that be our provider or like another, um, MA in the clinic has been there for a while, someone who's a lead, like they have to check it off that we know how to do it before we're able to perform it. And we still have to practice it. Like still just last week, I practiced leg casts and lower body casts with one of my coworkers. You know, we're still trying to get better at this because it's, it's a work of art. It's like human arts and crafts. Like it's so in depth and detailed and it's crazy. So to me, you know, like you said, getting that certification and learning how to do all of these things really helped me to get better at understanding the whys and details and hows of, you know, casting and splinting and the other things that the course had has helped me where I am. But you're exactly right. For you, that probably would make really a lot of sense. Like, it'd be cool to learn about. I'm sure you would love to learn about that, right? Absolutely. But there's, there's other things that you would probably rather prioritize in learning about for your setting that's going to help right. you versus that. So, Again, it's, you know, it's not a necessity, but it was really cool to have. And it's definitely helped me where I am for sure. I don't have any specific more questions around this, but I know you're, you've mentioned this is a very passionate subject for you. So is there anything else that we haven't covered around it that you'd like to talk about? And I'm sure questions will come up from there as we continue to go forward. I mean, I just think in general, like to me, especially, you know, being at a variety of settings, like working at a couple colleges, whether that be, you know, D1 or NAIA and then now in physician practice. And I do a lot of outreach with a certain high school. So I've been like at multitude of settings. And I think just with like the emergency management or medicine and all that kind of stuff, like it is so essential for athletic trainers to have a good grip on that because as you know, we we're, we're the first ones to respond. We're the first ones Mm -hmm. there. So it's a huge component and it really, I just do not grasp the understanding of, you know, I've heard a person or two say that, Oh, I don't, you know, really have a passion for it or I don't you know really think it's necessarily that important or that, you know, big or whatever. And it's kind of like how like that, you know, doesn't really make sense to me because you know, that, athletic trainers like that's what you know kind of we're there for is to help mitigate all of that and to be that person for the athlete coworker, coach whatever like that's a huge part of what we do and you know you can range emergency medicine in your own terms but to someone that can be getting a basic cut at practice that's basic wound care that could be someone with a mental health crisis who's threatening self-harm that could be someone who fell off something and broke a bone you know what I mean like there's such a wide variety of it so to me it's just like super super important and a huge component of athletic training and am I proficient at it probably not I would love to get better at it every day and I just think that's it's just a huge critical component of what we do that it's important so yeah it's uh, hopefully not one of those things for most of the profession where it takes something bad happening for it to become a priority Uh, I I I've been in my role in this head AT role for this is year seven. And I never thought we did a bad job and we were always generally up on what we needed to be up on. But um, our AT education program hosted Doug Casa from KSI 
um, as a guest lecturer and, you know, exertional heat stroke talked about everything, you know, ran a nice lab. It was awesome and very informational, but the thing that stuck stood out to me in my role was, you know, he had dumbed it down to these very basic things with that. And he goes, here's the position paper. And you better believe if you ever have an athlete that has a pro, you know, has long-term damages from an exertional heat illness episode or whatever event that you want to call it, they're going to call me as an expert witness and I'm going to come and I'm going to pull out this document. And if it can't be shown that you followed it, you're screwed. And that was like the most eye-opening thing for me where, you know, nothing had, we had stuff to manage it, but not to the level that we needed to. And we didn't have any reason why. And so for the last two years, that is literally what we spent time and money on is we've got our emergency bags. We've got everything we need. We've got, exertional heat you know we've got all the stuff set up and you know I, the whole cya you know cover your ass portion of this is such a thing that should be a focus so then you can focus on the other things and yes. yeah that for me that was the thing oh yeah it's huge where i was at before i took the job as an at in physician practice like i had you know let my boss know hey i love like EBPs and I love research. I love evidence-based things. I love, um, you know, like doing all this and helping people stay up to date and where we are up to date. And he was like, Oh, okay. Um, you know, these protocols that we have, they haven't really been reviewed in a while. Um, I'd like for you to go through them and match them up with like what it should be and let me know. And, um, wow. That was quite the experience because, you know, you can only do so much to tell someone, hey, here's the standards. You have to have an EAP posted like at your facility. Like that's literally a requirement. And if you don't want to do that, if something happens and someone, you know, God forbid someone dies or a coach doesn't know what to do, that's going to come back on you as like the head whatever. And I think that's great that you like, heard that you were like, wow, like, you know, we definitely need to have this. And it's not necessarily about just having a piece of paper up there knowing what to do. It's like, who do we call? Where's our, you know, splint, you know, bag spine boards. Where's this? Where's that? Does it work? Where does EMS come in? Do they know where we are? Who do we call? Who do, you know what I mean? Like there's all these questions that you should, you know, have in advance prepared so that when this situation does happen, it's not like a, you know, excuse my French, but shit hitting the fan. Like no one knows what's going on. Like you, it's so much better to be way over-prepared than to not be prepared at all. And mm-hmm. would, you know, I think it's great that you do that and you're trying to help it go as smoothly as possible. And everyone has a role. They know what to do. They know where things are and you have it down because not only does that, like you said, come back to you and cover yourself and your school, but it also is going to help protect people and even eventually save lives. Like having that basic level of organization and where things are super valid because I, you know, people would always ask, how was your day? And I'd, you know, I'd say, well, didn't have to use an AED or call an ambulance. It was a great day. Like everything else is, you know, like you said, not, not, you know, essential and can, you know, the treatments and like, you know, whatever, all this kind of stuff. Okay, great. Good for you. I helped you out. But that huge basic life level involving stuff is so severe. And I don't think um, that a lot of people put the value on it that needs to be. So I think that's awesome that you did that. 
Yep, it was a wake-up call. It was funny. Our students were like, wow, that was, you know, really intense. And I was like, yeah, I, all I heard is you better get things in line or you're going to get sued. That That is what yeah. I learned from this whole thing. And laughed at me. I was like, but for real, like in my role, it, it is all going to come back to me. So guess what we're going to do? That. <laughs> yep, we are going to completely revamp this thing. And it, it was good. I love that. That's great. Anything else before we uh, jump into the athletic training chat questions? No, that's, I mean, pretty much I can, all I can think of unless you have other ones. I appreciate it. I mean, we could go into a bunch of different tangents, but maybe we'll save that for another, uh, another day. I'm seeing a certification round table in the future um, discussion, and we'll definitely get you in on that one. I love that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I take notes now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so first question is, where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? And if you could cut, set that example. Wow. You know, I really, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but kind of, I think athletic training has already evolved so much in the past few years. Like, you know, there's athletic trainers, using their role and they are super valued in the industrial setting, the military mm -hmm. setting, you know, like currently where I am and being employed in physician practice, like I see how much our providers value us and how we help their clinic to run efficiently. And Absolutely. I think it's fantastic that, you know, we are growing and the profession is growing and we're increasing the ability to market ourselves. Like, I think that that's absolutely fantastic. However, um, I do think that it's, you know, also shouldn't be lost to kind of like remember where we came from, if that makes sense, like originally what profession yep. started out to do. So, you know, it's double-edged sword, but, you know, in the next five to 10 years, I do think that it will continue to grow. You know, I think we've all probably seen the things that are coming out now, like, you know, is there an athletic training sports fellowship in the future? Is there... Sure you know, an athletic trainer, you know, with orthopedic at the end to, you know, enhance that experience or whatever, like mm -hmm. all those things. And I'm sure that that probably will happen. And like you mentioned with the emergency medicine, I think that, you know, that could be something in the future, like athletic trainers, we are the jack of all trades. We know a lot about everything, but we're not necessarily specialized in something. So if you want to get better at that specialized thing, or that specialized field, or you want to learn more or do more of that. I think that there are opportunities now to do that. And there will be a lot more in the future. So, and whether people see that as a good or bad thing, it's, it's happening. Like it's in the works, it's here now, and it's going to be here. So it just kind of, you know, it's however people view it in that aspect, but that's kind of where I see it going. I like it. I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, the interesting thing will be is because of all the educational programs being probably directly tied to athletics. Oh, yes. How do you mend that or, or do you start running it? Well, not all of them are, I guess. I know one that's out of the hospital system an hour and a half away from their athletics program. So oh, wow. um, maybe that is an option. Yeah. If you could go back and give yourself advice when you were a younger athletic trainer, what would the advice be? And if you could kind of set the setting for us of when that would be. You know, I think one of the most 
I had, and you know, we've all had a lot of influential moments. I think whether that be in, you know, even before we were in an undergrad program, like thinking about doing athletic training, currently learning how to do athletic training, and then you know, graduated and quote certified, and mm-hmm. we're able to now do things on our own, and then where we are now. I think just something that I would go back and tell you know myself and then other athletic trainers as we're learning how to be the best we can in this profession is probably to keep an open mind um, because you know the way that your program does something or the way that you know you were taught how to do it is not the end-all be-all there are so many other people situations circumstances other professions we can learn things from and get better at and just because you had an experience a certain way doesn't mean everyone else did too Um, and I think that you know I struggle with that a lot like I'm very type a outspoken strong personality so sometimes I get in my own way of hey like this isn't just about you like think about other people too but I think I would go back and definitely tell myself like it's important to learn from others and their experiences and yours is not the only one to be had. So. I like it. What has been the most influential resource you have found in your career? Oh man, that's an immediate answer for that is I'm going to say experience experiences. I think drive a lot of what we do um, because, you know, I was talking with my brother the other day and he had something happen at work and it didn't have the best outcome. And he learned to not do that again because the outcome was not great. And I think that experiences, whether neutral, positive or negative, and even observing the experiences of others, like direct coworkers, like whatever, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like that is your best teacher I think, and a value resource because you're never going to know until you're actually doing it. And you're not going to really know how it feels and what to do sometimes until you're actually in that experience. So, and I personally learn best, like hands-on. I don't learn as well in a classroom, always did better in lab rather than lecture and all that kind of stuff. So to me, I think that's such a valuable resource because it, it really just produces such an outcome of education, whether that's like clinically, professionally, personally, that you can't always get from a textbook or website. So to me, I think that that's a fantastic resource that people underutilize. Agreed. Um, I'd add one addition to it is the ability to self-reflect on those experiences to actually allow yourself to improve um, personal experience. I screwed up a lot. Um, didn't realize it at the time, but um, more so now because I've seen other people do it. But that self-reflection piece and the humility can be such a good addition to that. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. If you could change or eliminate one thing, it could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, or anything of your choosing in the field of athletic training, what would it be? Oh, Wow. I'm looking forward to this answer. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, gosh, I think that, you know, I think it's kind of like how we were talking about even before, you know, we got really started on this and before hitting record and stuff, you and I had some good conversations and I've had these conversations with people in general and 
I think that everyone has a passion for what they do. And for me personally, I know God gave me the passion to help people and I love sports. So that's why athletic training is great. Right. Like I love that. Um, but for some people, they want to do athletic training to uh, promote certain things or they want to do it to get the praise or they want to do it to, you know, promote their own ideas and that kind of thing. And I just think the perspective that I would really love to just eliminate goes back to my discussion about experiences is it's not, there's not always an end all be all. There's not always like, yes, this is it. No, this will never work. Yes, this will work oh, well, it's only this way, but it's not. You don't know that. You haven't, you know, the wide range of where athletic trainers can work and out, rather industrial position practice, high school, college, pro, like the settings and circumstances are always so different. So I definitely have learned to try to answer things and think of things like, you know, other perspectives and places and locations. It's just like, you know, as athletic trainers, you know, like I said earlier, we're kind of a jack of all trades and we know how to do a lot of things well, but we're not experts in all things. So we should be more open to learning from others and trying to do that and to hear from their perspectives versus just saying an automatic yes or no. Well said. Thank you. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? And, you know, it's like, it's so funny that you asked that question because to me that my identity as an athletic trainer has been completely and absolutely rocked since I, you know, involved in my previous job, there was a lot of things that happened there that were not optimal. And then moving to now my new position in physician practice, which is a complete career change. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I've always thought, and I, you know, put athletic trainer in line with, you know, to me, collegiate athletics, that's all I've ever known. <laughs> so to now be here uh, where I am, which is great. And I'm learning a lot. It's just that athletic trainers are here to help others. We're here to help heal and do whatever we can in order to assist in a situation, whether that be helping a patient to understand who's going to call them for their MRI to being out at practice and a kid dislocated their shoulder or Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. There's such a wide range. So being an athletic trainer to me, like I mentioned earlier, God gave me the passion for helping people. And I think athletic trainers employ the perspective of selflessness for the most part athletic trainers do use that because we want to help others and we're okay with doing that because that means we're not placed first. So if there ever comes something in the world where selfless um, people are needed for help, athletic trainers should consider themselves, I think, some of the first on the line because we place ourselves above our own personal interests or we should place ourselves above personal interests to help others. So, Perfect. Um, just in closing, if people wanted to connect with you, follow you, obviously feel free to plug all of all things, ATs, um, <laughs> connections, where would they best do that? Um, so I like, I mean, like you said, I'm a co-creator of the, um, athletic training platform, all things AT. And so we have a Twitter account. Um, I also have my own personal Twitter account, Carly underscore Collins. Um, you can shoot me an email. 
Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, so my email address is carlybcollins at gmail.com. And then, of course, um, you know, I try and utilize Twitter for good, productive conversation and educational purposes. So <laughs> if you like to do it on there as well, um, I would love to talk to anybody who has any questions or to further go along with this conversation because um, stuff I'm pretty passionate about and I love it and I really appreciated my time with you today so thank you so much for having me on here and I really enjoyed our conversation yeah thank you for being on uh, it's been great to engage on Twitter great to have a conversation and looking forward to more of them in the future yeah for sure all right well appreciate your time thank you